The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And I thought I'd take some time this morning to uh, share a little bit about how I've been practicing myself, kind of instructions I've been giving myself, and you probably got a flavor just from the sit this morning. It's, of course, nothing that we haven't heard before. But just, it's really important to take responsibility that we understand ourselves, what this practice is that we're doing, and how it looks when we're just operating in daily life, and how it looks when we're formally doing our meditation practice or sitting practice. And understand it's, it's really one practice. They may look slightly different washing the dishes than it does when we're sitting. And the most important thing about this part of practice, which is being able to understand, to know what the practice is, it's like having a lot of humility. So much of the practice initially is just getting clear about what the practice is. And so that means we have to assume we don't really understand what mindfulness practice is. I mean, we, that doesn't mean we don't understand anything about it, but that we're, that our understanding is still getting clarified about what is this process we're interested in developing. I mean, we know to some degree that we're interested in being happy, being liberated. I mean, we can say these words, but doesn't really mean we know what happiness is or liberation is or even something more specific like freedom from stress is. I mean, there are moments when we know it clearly. You know, we're tight and then the tension drops away. And then in that moment, because we're so, it's so the experience is so immediate, we really know what that experience of dropping of tension is. And we can even generalize a little bit like the dropping of physical, mental tension, stress, okay. But it's easy then to, we conceptualize the practice and we always lose something as we conceptualize it. You know, we have words like mindfulness and then they sort of become an edifice, (laughs) you know, and not so much related to the actual experience of being open, being awake, being aware. So we need to clarify our, our, our basic intention because it's really, this is sort of uh, the first thing we have to get. And this is what gets corrupted over and over again in meditation is we have to remember that the practice of meditation or the practice of awareness, mindfulness, it isn't about, in a sense, it isn't about attaining anything. It isn't about getting something. And so normally we can make this it may be useful to make this basic separation. We call our normal existence, it's all about getting something. You know, getting some relaxation, getting some order in my life, getting some security, getting some health. And getting is also the same as getting rid of. You know, when we want to get rid of something, it's we want to get that state of being where we don't have that thing we don't like. So. This is the normal way for human beings. We call this just, you know, the practice of attaining or getting, becoming something. That's just ordinary, and that's also ordinarily stressful. 
always wanting to become or to get or to get rid of. So meditation practice, the easiest thing to do is remember it's not that because it's always going to gravitate towards this because this is our big habit. And our whole culture is sort of moving us in the direction of trying to get or get rid of or become something. So meditation, so we need some words to kind of help us remember what that isn't, what isn't that. So we say things like, okay, so the work of meditation is really about, not about becoming something or attaining something, but about understanding how it is. So that's a word we use a lot, understanding. I want to, so I have knee pain. Instead of my meditation practice, like how can I sit, how can I relate to this so it goes away, which seems really skillful, but it's more, how can I understand what this pain is in the knee? How can I relate to this pain in a way that the mind deeply sees into the nature of knee pain, like understands it? Because superficially, which is the way we all are most of the time, I know what knee pain is. It's something to get rid of. You know, so I stretch my leg out or I, you know, get a different cushion or I... So on that normal level, we, we have a lot of confidence. We're arrogant, actually. And so we never really value wanting to understand. So the first step in meditation is <clears throat> amping up the wholesome desire to want to understand experience the direct experiences that are arising and ceasing all the time for us. You see how dismissive we usually are. I mean, even now, like being with the breath, being with sitting, even being with sounds, which tend to be a little bit more interesting. It's so easy to be dismissive. You know, that music we were hearing, that was interesting for a while. And then, you know, probably half of us got aversive and the other half were sort of liking it in the room. And, but we got lost in the liking or the disliking and we lost our interest. Like, what is the phenomena of hearing, hearing sound like that? And just that experience of, of being vulnerable to that sense experience. And what is it like to just uh, let it happen? Like, to be completely vulnerable, exposed in a way to that music, like letting that music have its effect on the mind and body. We don't like being that vulnerable, that exposed to experience. But see, that's a relatively safe, you know, we're still in the middle of a city, but it, it's the experience that generally arises here is relatively safe. You know, we hear people moving, we hear some cars. The only real dangerous thing that happens here is what goes on in terms of our mind and memory. <laughs> you know, we have knee pain and back pain and tickles and feel warm or too cold. But basically it's pretty safe so we can remind ourselves I don't need to fix or control or become or attain. I can really change this basic intention to the intention to understand, to be vulnerable, to be open, to be exposed. And then that really clarifies then the actual (coughs) skills we need. Because if we think we're trying to get something, well, that's a different skill set that we need. Like, how can I manipulate 
causes and conditions to get what I want or to get rid of what I want or to become who I want to be. You know, we that's generally what we go to school for and what we just learn in the school of life, you know, how to manipulate things, how to make things happen in the way we want them to happen. In our relationships, in our work life, with our body. But if our intention is to understand things as they are, then it's a different skill set that we need. So what are the skills that we need if we really want to understand, truly understand, like a pure interest, pure curiosity about the nature of things, the nature of the mind, nature of the body, the nature of the present moment? Well, then then now this is where the instructions I gave during the sit come in, because this comes from... A, I mean, it's a, it's a really common formulation, but the specific formulation, some of the language comes from Saida Utejaniya, a teacher that I've been particularly interested in studying. Although I haven't met him, I, I have a lot of his uh, uh, recorded Dharma discussions with uh, students of his. Um, he's a Burmese meditation master and monk, Buddhist monk. And he, he, makes, he gives three basic meditation instructions, like I gave. I repeated today, relaxation, the continuity of awareness, and checking the attitude and noticing if there's right view or what we generally in Buddhism call wrong view, which is coming, relating from a self-centered point of view, interpreting the pain from a self-centered point of view, interpreting the music from a self-centered view like that music is interrupting my practice, or I really like that music. Why can't they play music during the sits at Center all the time? <laughs> or something like that. So that's taking it personally. So just to check, just to notice, and then let that also be, in a sense, an object of awareness. So now awareness is noticing the attitude, and it's noticing whether the attitude is what we call right attitude, which is seeing things in terms of nature coming and going, not the lawful, natural unfolding of things. That's called right view. Wrong view is taking things, seeing things, assuming that things, everything's personal. Like it's neutral, so I don't care about it. It's painful, so I do care about it. And I want to get rid of it. It's pleasant, and I care about it, and I want to keep it. That's taking it personally, taking experience personally, and that's our deep habit, of course. So. The trick with checking our attitude is we want to check it with not be, without being judgmental. So, like if we have the right attitude, we don't want to be judgmental and think we're great having right attitude. We just want to notice if there's right attitude or notice if there's wrong attitude. So we keep relaxing. We value relaxation, letting go of tension. So, you know, a lot of tension we can't let go of, but there's a certain amount of mental and physical tension as soon as we remember to relax, we can let it go. So that's what that first instruction is about. It's like anything you can let go of in terms of mental and physical tension right now, let it go. And it's, it's actually not just as simple as we might think because not so much consciously, but unconsciously, we have a lot of habit energy that's saying that somehow tension is useful. Like being tight kind of gives us a strategic advantage in life. Whatever we're doing, like even eating food, you're eating our lunch, and it's like, unbeknownst to us, it feels like if I'm tight, I'm going to do it better. You know, I notice this even like watching TV or watching a movie. It's like, like somehow, 
I need to, to be interested or to pay attention, I have to be tight. But we don't have to be tight to live our lives. It's just a habit we have. Because we're so invested in the self-centered view, the only way we really have, we can confirm that there's a self involved is to be tight. So we're in a way, in a kind of existential way, we're afraid of relaxation. Because it doesn't feel like there's anybody doing anything. Which from a Buddhist point of view is actually the direction we're going. It's just nature happening. But from a deluded point of view, from our ordinary point of view, we reconfirm that in fact there is something happening for me because we feel tight. And it's like that, what is it, Descartes, you know, I, I think therefore I am. We could sort of refine that maybe to I'm tight, therefore I am. You know, I feel tight, I feel tension. I must be real. This must be happening to me. Why else would I be tight? And uh, so, so even though it's a simple instruction to be relaxed, it's really deep to remember. And, and the more we practice, the more that basic information arises in our sits and in our daily life, hey, relax. It's OK to relax. It's like every time. So this could happen literally a couple hundred times in a day. You know, 40 times in a half an hour sit, and then through the rest of the day, periodically, if we, you know, hearing a talk like this, or maybe reading one of Utejaniya's books, and you get this instruction over and over again, and then it just kind of, you think about it, and you say, well, that makes sense. It makes sense to remind myself to relax. And then it just starts to come up, because you value it. Just like if we value making a lot of money, that thought will come up a lot. Like, should I invest in gold, or should I keep my money in the stock market? You know, that thought will come up if we value that information. So if we really value relaxing, the thought, the skillful thought, hey, can you relax? You know, is there anything you can let go of? That would just start coming up. And then every time it comes up, we kind of refine our understanding. Like, first we just do, you know, the normal shoulders up by the ears, dropping them down, you know, or belly being tight, releasing, or the anus being clenched, relaxing, jaw being tight, releasing. But then... It's like our interest in the basic instruction and relaxing, it just gets deeper and deeper, more subtle, more refined about the value of relaxation. That is a basic approach. And so the same with all of these, the continuity of awareness, like what that means, like what awareness is. That also, like, again, you hear the instruction, like you're hearing a talk now and someone's just saying, you know, there's a real value and not only being aware in a moment, but really getting, learning the art of the continuity of awareness. So when we do have a moment of awareness, not just letting it be a moment of awareness, but as we have that moment of awareness, we're recognizing, hey, this is really appropriate. It's an appropriate way to be in a moment, to be aware that this is being known, that aware that this is happening. So it's not like awareness makes things happen. It's, a, it's something that coincides with human life. I mean, human life is going to happen as long as we're alive, of course. But in any moment, we can either be aware that this is a human life happening, this is a moment of experience, or unaware. And the difference is if we're lost in thought, we're going to be unaware that this is 
the experience of sitting, or this is the experience of breathing, or this is the experience of hugging, or this is the experience of eating, or pooping, or talking. Or we're not going to be aware of it. It's not so much we're not knowing it, but the knowing is suppressed. It's sort of buried because of the mind's fixation on self-centered thinking, self-centered drama. And we forget that this is something being known. This is something... This is something that's arising in the field of awareness. So it's like a dimension that we lose when we're not aware, when we're not aware, we've sort of lost the continuity of, of mindfulness. So in the beginning, like we just, uh, we want to remember that there can be this reflective attitude, reflection, meaning I'm aware that this is happening. So that's how we need now, just to kind of value awareness. And then the, the valuing of it will naturally lead to a wholesome desire for continuity of it. So once we have a moment of knowing, oh, this is happening now, it's like this now, then there's going to arise right then in that moment this wholesome desire to not lose it, to not lose that reflective stance. This is happening now. This is how it is now. Thinking is like this sitting is like this. And we'll get periods where there will be a little continuity and then we'll lose it. And then we'll have it and we'll have some continuity and then we'll lose it. And so this is that art of developing a continuity of awareness. And then how do you skillfully, how do you use thinking to support that continuity? Right? So this is where like a lot of meditation techniques that we can use of course in daily life. Like why not every once in a while say, oh, you know, was outside and the breeze is blowing against the skin and then there's a moment of awareness where the mind recognizes is reflecting oh the touching of the air against the cheek is being known so a skillful thought at that time could be to repeat that to yourself basically it seems a little neurotic that we have to do this but it it incre- it's a way of consciously uh, appreciating what awareness does. So we repeat the words. We, we turn the experience into words. Oh, feeling the breeze is being known. Coolness is being known or something like that. You know, touching is being known. We just say that phrase in the mind. But here's the thing about the way the world works. It's all cause and effect. So if we want to support more moments of awareness, if we intentionally do something, it kind of sets it in the mind, makes a deeper imprint. So when we have a skillful thought, that skillful thought arises out of, it sort of arises out of the recognition of the wholesomeness of the moment of awareness. So it, it increases the mind's recognition of that wholesomeness, which will make it more likely to arise more often, more and more often. So that's why we have different techniques around supporting the continuity of awareness, like I mentioned the praise, or like training in particular places, like with the breath, or like with walking, or with hearing, so that the mind really gets more skillful about having that continuity with particular areas of experience where we can actually have 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a couple minutes of really being continuous with hearing, 
So the mind isn't getting lost in thought about what's being heard, but is in that open, receptive awareness, hearing is happening, hearing is happening, ongoing. Not that you have to repeat those words, right? Those words, it's a skillful means to use periodically, but not in a neurotic way, to try to like not lose it, but just to appreciate it. Oh, hearing is happening. Awareness is happening. Knowing is happening. How wonderful. How wonderful this subtle ability the mind has to be reflective. It's subtle. So our, and, and generally life is gross. So we tend to miss all the subtlety, the refinement. So we have to appreciate the refinement of knowing, of awareness, of being open. Because we'll tend to lose it. So this other second instruction of being aware, it's really appreciating the capacity to be reflective, the capacity we have to be reflective. Starting next Sunday, uh, or actually next Sunday will be a little bit different. We'll have our quarterly community gathering. So some of you already know once a quarter, usually around the solstices and equinoxes, we have a quarterly community gathering where during this time we have our normal sit and then during the talk I'll, I'll explain, say a few things about the traditional refuges in Buddhist practice. We take refuge in the teachings, we take refuge in awareness, we take refuge in the beautiful qualities that arise when we're more mindful like kindness and compassion and wisdom and, and the taking of the five precepts, not harming, not stealing, uh, not getting involved in sexual misconduct and uh, lying and speaking harshly, speaking in ways that are hurtful and intoxicating the mind, consuming in ways that cloud the mind. So this is what we do next uh, week. And then we have a potluck afterwards, so people can join us for that if you'd like. But then after that Sunday, we'll go back to Jack Kornfield's book, The Wise Heart. I think it's chapter 10 will be beginning, it's called The Storytelling Mind. Some of you might, I know some of you are reading along with the group. You don't need to read the book with the, to come to the talks, but in case you'd like that extra information, you can get yourself a copy of Jack Hornfield's book, The Wise Heart, and we're on chapter 10. And we'll begin that in two weeks again. So we have a few minutes uh, before we need to end. Maybe people have some comments or questions about some of the things I said today. Yeah. And say, you know, it's Victoria. really takes care of 
it doesn't get in the way of being practical. It sounds like it does, but it actually supports all the ordinary practical functions. I mean, our mind gets out of balance all the time, where we sort of space things out and hurt our knee, you know, burn down the house, things like that. (laughs) This happens all the time. And the question you're really asking is, does mindfulness help us to take care of our knees and the oatmeal, or does it get in the way of taking care of these practical things? And I can say unequivocally, it helps. But you have to understand, like, when we're cultivating awareness, we're also cultivating right attitude and relaxation. So the three of these working together leads to right action. And you'll just see that it leads to right action. Because there you are, remembering to be relaxed, remembering the pain is like this, and checking your attitude to see if you're involved in some self-centered trip or whether you're just seeing things in terms of nature. And one of the things that might lead to us to hurting our knee is we're involved in a self-centered trip, which is, I can't move. You know, when you're meditating, you shouldn't move. And I don't want people to think, I'm a beginner, so I'm going to sit still, right? That's called a self-centered trip. That's not seeing things in terms of nature. That's getting identified with that thought that, oh, I don't want to move, or I'll be embarrassed if I move, or I don't want my knee to hurt, you know, and maybe if I just sit with it, the pain will go away. Those are all self-centered thoughts. So we're sitting, we're aware that we're aware. So there's pain in the knee and we're aware of that. And then a thought arises in the mind. This feels like it may be causing permanent damage to the knee. And there's an awareness. You know, the mind is having the thought. This may lead to permanent damage to the knee. So we're not going to miss that thought. We're going to not only have that thought, but we're going to be aware that we're having that thought and then, and we're also going to be checking our attitude and see if we're involved in some sort of deluded trip or if that's just the wisdom of nature ringing in the mind, saying, honey, you should move, basically. So wisdom takes care of itself. You know, if what gets in the way of wisdom is being deluded, being lost in thought, like think about how many stupid things we've done being lost in thought. Exactly. So it's, it's the not being aware of what's happening that leads to all of our problems. Yeah, as, and if we're doing those three things, relaxing, uh, checking the attitude, continuity of awareness as best we can, we'll make fewer mistakes. <laughs> yeah, Robert. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like, uh, uh, again, it's like understanding the practice. Is it, It's funny because it's all about balance. So when you talk about it, it's always going to, the, the words you're going to hear in any one moment or any one paragraph, it's not going to be the whole truth. Because any instruction we're here, it's really about correcting an imbalance. So, for example, when I'm talking about being mindfulness in terms of being open, then I'm correcting the ba- the imbalance of being over-defended and tight, right? But if somebody if somebody's way of being out of balance is being overly helpless, caught in being helpless and and being sort of a victim of and uh, in like caught in this experience of being um, 
um, pushed around by life, no power, no stability, then they need a different kind of medicine. You know, they need to hear how, basically, they need to hear how the wisdom, that uh, understanding, like the development of right view, is a cause for powerful stability. It's like uh, it's like being a mountain in the world that's changing. You know, the different things that, the different sense impressions, the different experiences that come our way. How to be invulnerable as opposed to vulnerable. So that's the other medicine. That's really the, the fruit of practice is that stability. The one time the Buddha descri- kind of described the fruit of practice as the unshakable release of the heart, that this unshakable quality is really about the practice, you know, being unshakable as a human being. And it's just a question of where that power comes from. Does it come from being tight, out of fear? Does fear actually protect us and give us stability? Or is it only temporary, kind of a brittle stability, and actually and ultimately makes us more vulnerable? So it's, that's what the wisdom does. It's kind of helping us find a stability that's resonant and permanent, as opposed to temp, you know, sort of temporary places that give us a, a little veneer of safety, but nothing we can really count on. Like, think about how many identities we've had that have given us a little, like some of you, I, I bet in this room, had the, the veneer of stability, I've got a job. And now you don't have a job. And, and that, that being that person who was a teacher or was a that, but now isn't, now is unemployed, then all of a sudden we realize, oh, I was depending on that idea that I'm a teacher or I'm this for my stability, my sense of self-worth or you know, being able to take care of myself or whatever, and now it's gone. And it's totally understandable why that would rock our world might rock our world. But the question is, is there a kind of stability that can't get rocked by getting sick or by losing our jobs or by losing our partners or the normal, ordinary things that happen to human beings? Maybe time for one more comment? Yeah, Kathleen. that that's the it's so simple in a way I mean not easy to do at all but very simple instructions because you're like you described so well 
that's just starting to come online, like that you're using the practice, but to you to make it go away. So then that's what you're aware of. So recognize you're aware of that. Oh, I want this to go away. Wanting this to go away is like this, you know. So we're including that. Just include that in the experience. And see, you don't, but what that will do is it will expose, but I really do want this to go away. And that's what you want to understand. That's what we're not understanding. We want to understand that process of wanting to, wanting this to go away because we're assuming that process is something that it in fact isn't. We're assuming that it's referring back to me, but it's not. It just seems like it is. And so we have to get interested in that process of wanting this to go away. But we're not judging it. We're not saying it's wrong to want it to go away. We're interested in it. We're authentically interested in the wanting this to go away. What is this experience of wanting this to go away? What does it feel like? Where is it happening? Yeah. Bringing it into view. Well, we need to leave it here. So thanks everyone for coming. See you next Sunday maybe. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.